0: all oh. <laughs> right i said are you ready i thought we were gonna play the intro <laughs> no i don't have the intro it's not that fancy we're at the office
1: okay hey everybody welcome to saturday i am monique Duson and i
0: am krista bontrager and this is all the oh,
1: things
0: thanks. this is the show where we discuss all the things related to god the bible and real life and this is our very crude setup because bob's not here <laughs>
1: Yes, but we didn't want to be um, dark, so we decided we would do an Ask Us Anything episode. Yes, and the just annual Ask us, us Anything. Show up. So yes. There's no
0: opening. There's no sound effects. No. There's no Tweet of the Week. There's no nothing. We're well, just here. But we do have questions, and yes. a lot of them. We want to thank everyone for sending those in. Uh, we are live, so we want to invite you to add your voice to the conversation um, we do actually, we'll be reading the comments a lot tonight because it is an Ask Us Anything episode. Our moderators tonight are Alicia Moss and
1: Jennifer Bidel. Yes. Hello, ladies. All right. You ready to jump in and get started? Um, sure. I don't know. So you know. We don't have to.
0: We, we asked people, so on Ask Me Anything, mm-hmm. <laughs> last week at the end of the show, mm-hmm. uh, we asked people to send in their questions. Uh, On email. We also took some on social media. Some people submitted them on Instagram. So we've got some queued up here and uh, we'll look forward to seeing those. Oh, this is interesting. What? There's no chat. We can't see the chat. Is it because it's live? No. No. I don't know. I'm not really sure. Oh, that's very unfortunate. I can so read the chat gonna, from here. All right. We're going to have to keep toggling back and forth. I'm not sure why Restream isn't letting us see the chat. There's just a dinosaur. That's okay.
1: No worries. No worries. Ooh, right. I want to give a shout out to the guys at Black and Blurred. Um, not Black and Blurred. Yeah. Black and Blurred um, podcast, Brandon and Daryl. I am wearing their shirt tonight do not partner, but expose. Yes, we do not partner with the works of the enemy, but we expose the works of the enemy. And so thank you guys very much. All right. You ready to jump into some questions? Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So the
0: first question comes tonight. Let's Hopefully this works. Um, this is from, I, I just put initials. Okay. Uh, KF. Um, I have small children. It was a, first of all, some of these questions I had to abbreviate y'all. You, you can't
1: write in with three paragraphs and- We have, didn't give them the parameters. So. We only told them, send in your questions. They were trying to make sure we understood the context. Yeah. We always talk so about I, context.
0: I, I had to condense it. Okay. So I have small children. I think the ages were like six and four and two or something. Like well, small, uh-huh. small, 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 Um, What Bible story book do you recommend- uh, it's a good question. Um, I don't really have a particular favorite, um, but I would say this, um, you can always start off with like a reader's version. That's more simplified. I'm always a fan of getting kids into the actual Bible mm-hmm. as opposed to Bible story books and retellings. So my general recommendation would be to find um, kind of a simplified translation, a reader's version, read it out loud. Kids are more capable than we realize, especially if you don't expose them to screens and devices. This is an, this is an important skill to be able to help them develop other uh, oral listening skills. Mm-hmm. And so read the Bible out loud. They should be able to listen Practice listening, you know, especially maybe not like the two-year-old, but but the others can listen to short sections. Uh, you can do some Bible memorization and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, I would say get a reader's version of the Bible and read that out loud. Yes. So, all right. I don't, I this don't is have gonna, small
1: kids, so I'm not really an expert in that. This is going to so be very ministry, limiting but,
0: to not be able to see the comments. It'll be okay. I promise. Okay
1: When I did kids ministry, I would also do I'd use like the Bible not uh, an abbreviated version. that's why I, I agree.
0: Uh, Somebody's asking right. are you are we still accepting questions? I said yes. yes, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. send them in. Um, put your right. questions just put yeah, thank you, Alicia. Uh, put question at the beginning. that makes it a lot easier for us to identify the questions. Next one. Okay. And I don't know maybe if the moderators I think both the moderators have my phone number. If you want to, if we don't see the question, just text it to me. And then that way I'll know what it is because I can't see the
1: comments. It'll be okay. So, all right. (laughs) Okay. This is a ask us anything and anything can happen show. All rolled into one.
0: Okay. All right. Um, CB, this is a question for you. Mm -hmm. What is a good resource to read to understand a spouse? who is leaving due to critical theories and its implications. Mm. First of all, I hope CB, this isn't your spouse. Yeah, That would be very sad. Sad for anybody. It's sad for
1: anybody. Yeah. Um, But we have heard of this. Yeah.
0: Marriage is ending because Mm -hmm. of
1: the critical social theories. So. I think it's helpful to just understand the critical theories overall. Um, And you can, gosh, get, there is a. Let me see if I can find it. The name of the book. Um, there is a basic primer just on critical theory, understanding just basic critical theory, what it is. Then you can apply critical theory to any um, any subcategory. Critical theory on race, critical race theory, critical critical theory on queerness or LGBTQ plus critical queer theory. But understanding the stark. You're either with us or you're against us mentality that comes with a lot of the critical theories, and especially being um, critical theory in a very postmodern context. If I can think of the name of the book. So, what you're recommending
0: is that's read it. a first source. Like, uh-huh. Don't read a book about critical theory, in other words, like a Christian version on it. No, you go, need to go read a first source. So, yes. whether that's Critical race theory and introduction by Delgado and Stefancic, or you know, um, go go find a first source. find a
1: first source on okay. critical theory because when you find the first source on critical theory, you'll be able, like I say, you'll be able to apply that to race or to any context. Okay. But critical theory itself and understanding that part of of what's happening will give you the foundation for you know if it's happening in you know, in relation to race or sex and gender, age, child, whatever, you have to understand what critical theory calls people to,
0: and it's okay. different
1: than Marxism. So, you know, we want to make sure that you're understanding spe- like so do you specifically have a specific what's going on. Um, I'm not seeing it here. I know I have to book at home. um, Well, I'll try and think about it, but the
0: critical race theory, critical race
1: theory and introduction by um, Delgado and Stefancic gives you a really basic knowledge of what critical race theory is. Um, But like I said, going into critical theory, when you read a first source on what is critical theory, even if it's like a a version for a high school student. And I would actually probably recommend that something that's not very academic, something that is very lay level, but still a first source will help you to understand why is there such a, it's either this or that there is no room for, you know, conversation grayness, middle ground.
0: Okay. Here's the next one. Uh, So from Facebook, is it okay to utilize your videos as a Sunday school discussion group?
1: Sure. like our 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 YouTube channel YouTube channel, sure people do it all the time,
0: yeah. mhm, yes, it kind of makes us laugh a little inside just because we're like, oh, we're on someone's big screen
1: yeah, I went to <laughs> um to Alaska and mentioned Melody Flynn. Hi, y'all if you're watching um yeah i I was a part of their um their small group time and watched like a, we watched a video of me. <laughs> <laughs> But then I was able to answer questions. And so I love it. I think it's amazing that people would say, oh, this is so helpful here. We can actually help more people with it. Yeah, Um, yeah, Yes, very humbling. So sure.
0: Now, if you also are wondering about our small group curriculum, Reconciled, um, that is also a possibility. Um, We've got, in fact... um, Big announcement. We might as well. Oh do yeah, we guess
1: we should do the announcement. We
0: should do the big announcement. So if you go to our our website and you go under resources, go under curriculum. This is our small group curriculum, and there are um, some short videos connected to the curriculum. But the big announcement is.
1: Our paperback version is now available. You can buy it on YouTube. Not YouTube, on Amazon. On Amazon. Yes. Just go to Amazon.com, type in reconcile Monique Dusan, and that will take you right to it. You guys, it has been such a-
0: Thank you to all our giving Tuesday donors- Yes,
1: thank you definitely to everyone who gave to make this possible. Um, It wouldn't be here without y'all. And we don't
0: know how this works exactly yet, because it just went live yesterday. But you can apparently get it on Prime. (laughs) So we're like, okay. So we
1: don't really know how it works exactly. But you can get other things on Prime, so why wouldn't you be able to get us this one on Prime? Yeah,
0: I don't know. So somehow they print them on demand. It's all a little mysterious to us. But you can get it on paperback. So go check that out. So that's another resource for you guys to use.
1: All right. Then it comes with videos. You'll be able to download or access the videos um, online and do the study. Okay. Uh Uh-uh. Jeremy Webb wants to know if I, me, Monique, has, um, if I've repented of putting pineapple on pizza yet the devil is alive, I shall live, if that is rebellion, I will live in rebellion until the day I die. I love pineapple pizza.
0: It's just a little ongoing yeah. joke there, isn't
1: it? So good. Yes. All right. Okay, next question. Okay.
0: All right. Um, right. We'll take one from Uh, Let's see. Oh, this is a good one. Okay. From Instagram. This was sent in this week. Uh, What book have you read or what book of the Bible has had a large impact on you? Go ahead. You can start. Okay. So uh, I've talked about these books before on the show, but um, uh, probably for me, uh, one of the books that uh, was very impactful to me in my 20s was reading the book How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee and Doug Stewart. Uh, That book is a very helpful introduction to understanding and interpreting the Bible. Um, Another very good foundational book for theology is my friend Ken Sample's book, Without a Doubt, Answering the 20 Toughest um, Faith Questions, or i probably messing up the subtitle a little bit, but it's called Without a Doubt by Ken Samples. Um, That was a very helpful book to me. I actually heard the lectures that Ken developed back in like the early 90s that became that book. Mm -hmm. I was in that class. And those lectures that then became the book were so foundational to my husband and I in helping to ground us in our faith. So those would definitely be two books that I always recommend for Christians to to help deepen their faith. So those were books that were in, impactful on me. As far as a book of the Bible, um, probably Ephesians. Ephesians is a book that I just come back to over and over and over again. It's such a wide variety of topics. Um, but it is so foundational to the Christian faith.
1: So that's awesome. me. I would say Bible books um, would be... Ephesians of course Micah and um, Ruth oh. those those are my books um, and as far as a just a regular book would go hmm gosh I have to I have books that I don't think people should read <laughs> um <laughs> Gosh, what book has made like a huge impact on me? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not sure about that. Ephesians. Like, no, I, yeah, I said Ephesians, Ruth, yeah. and um, Micah. I'm trying to think of a book that is like, I have a lot of books. Um, you mostly read critical theory. I books. know, that's what I was going to say. I have a Marxist, lot of books that I think people wouldn't, shouldn't read. I think the my, my social justice and diversity book has made a huge impact on me because coming out and, and away from that and now going back and reading it I can see like all of the problems. Um it's over there.
0: Oh.
1: I can see all of the problems with it. Um I would also say The Hate You Give was a book that really made me think because it was the issues are just in your face. Um Your review yeah. on the
0: Hate You Give is coming out in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. To the editors now so people will want to watch for that it's a mini book but
1: stop it but it's I I just yeah but I do have books I feel like that have really caused me to stop and consider I'm reading um, Mere Christianity right now and I think that book is is awesome I'm not very familiar with C.S. Lewis aside from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe Um, I remember when I took you to a play
0: our friend Lori Stewart Bought us tickets uh-huh. to the C.S. Lewis play. Uh-huh. And then that guy was at Wilberforce. Oh, was he? The same yeah. guy, Max uh-huh. McLean? Yeah. And she bought us tickets and she was giving us this wonderful gift. And you had no idea who <laughs> C.S. Lewis even was. And I she knew thought, from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yeah, but you really didn't know anything about like his, his philosophical background or apologetics or mere Christianity or any of that. Oh, no. And, and she thought she was doing was this, <laughs> this wonderful thing, giving us this wonderful gift. And it was a wonderful night. And, and we had a lot of fun. But That was really your first introduction. Like, who? Mm-hmm. I didn't realize <laughs> that
1: he had so many books and yeah. like, what is it, The Great Divorce and yeah. all of these things. So yes, I'm digging into mere Christianity now. And just the, the way in which he thinks and presents Christianity is super helpful
0: uh gwenda says you've got to read all the chronicles of narnia i know my my daughters read those in like first second second grade they just loved them uh okay ready for the next one let's do it all right uh vanessa our friend who is a moderator in our education group Hey, uh, this vanessa. is very unfortunate because bob can't cut to another camera and i've got something in my eye so i'm just gonna be stuck here on camera we whatever. family
1: girl just on to <laughs> handle your business okay.
0: um what would be a good cultural apologetics curriculum for a high school or college Sunday school class? Um, I want to encourage people to also make your suggestions here for Vanessa. Um, one that immediately comes to mind is by our friend um, Brock Kunkel and John Stone Street. Mm-hmm. It's called A Christian's Guide to Culture, I think. Mm-hmm. And then there's like a parent version and a student version. Um, I I like that one. Um, would be good foundations for for some discussions. Make sure I have the title right. It.
1: It's
0: called a like uh, yeah a practical, practical guide. guide to culture. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then there's a parent version I think or a student version something like that. So that would be one. But there's a lot of options out there. Just really. Depends, but if you want cultural apologetics, it's a little more niche, and I think that one would be a good one. Yeah, there's a student version, yeah. Students Guide to Culture. So that's again by our friends Brett Kunkel and um, John, John Stone Street. John Stone Street from the Colson Center. So they okay is, people. They okay people. They okay folk. All right. Okay. All right. Next one. Okay. Um. Let's see here. Okay, this is a question from Mel. And I never know if Mel is a man or a woman, so I would love to, Mel to clarify, because Mel makes a lot of comments on uh Oh, this is so long. Um, what is I can't. Put, I can't put it on the screen because it's too long. Okay. So, wait, wait, what is it? Let's see. All right. Um, from the beginning of starting CFBU until today. How have you changed the most? Oh, you can go first. Any philosophical or methodological shifts? What was the impetuous? Impetus. Uh, Impetus. Mel is a woman. Okay. Hey.
1: All right. Because all this
0: this time I've been thinking Mel is a man.
1: I automatically thought Melanie or Melody or... Milani or something. I, I don't know. I this whole time I thought Mel was a woman. I didn't know. We said so close, was, and you never shared this with me. I know because
0: I was assuming. I was in my own assumption. Don't do it. I know. I it's didn't okay. think to question. All right, from the beginning of starting of CFBU until today, where have you changed the most? Uh, definitely in my understanding and augmentation of um, history. Um, I don't know if I viewed history inaccurately, but I definitely viewed it inadequately. Mm. Um, I just had kind of this narrow slice of history. I think since meeting Monique, it's like just added to it, you know, making that a bigger slice Mm -hmm. of the pie. So I think that has been the biggest thing for me is just learning About things like the Tulsa Massacre and redlining and more details about Jim Crow laws and...
1: How Jim Crow even started.
0: Yeah. um, I knew about the Black Renaissance, but I didn't know a lot about the things that happened in the wake of Reconstruction and how Jim Crow laws arose. Um, So, you know, there were some things about Black history that I knew. I didn't know about the origin of the black church, um, that church in Philadelphia. So there's that for me was just a lot more information and understanding the structural things that were in place. Like for redlining, for example, I didn't really have any knowledge about, Mm -hmm. about that. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of information and framework, I didn't know anything about the critical theories, critical social theories, Critical race theory, I for a year I stumbled around. I I didn't even understand what she believed enough to like go Google it and.
1: and well, she's talking and, post the, our formation of CFBU. We, no, I think
0: right. No, from the starting, I think. Well, I'm counting even the starting of our friendship.
1: Okay,
0: because um, that's what ultimately led to the start of CFBU. Um, it we were about a year in. I thought maybe Monique held to some like peculiar postmodern ideas, but I didn't know it had a name. And then when I listened to a really old podcast with Alisa Childers and Neil Shenby and Neil explained it was called critical theory. Then I had a, a term I could go type into Google and start researching it. And so that was all new for me. What about you?
1: Um gosh. Okay. Well I if I go back as far as you did. Um well hold on let me go back to let me see the question. Oh, okay. Um, I'll just start with starting CFBU. Yeah, things today. we've changed
0: our mind about um, since starting the ministry two years ago.
1: So I would say my views on abortion. We didn't. If you go back <laughs> through all of our videos, we never talked about some things. We didn't talk about LGBTQ We did not talk about abortion. We didn't talk about police. We didn't talk for about a long, police a long time. We didn't yeah. talk about systemic racism. There were a lot of things where I was just like, "No, we will not," and it was were because my on my views. I I just, I didn't know where I landed on a lot of them on, I guess some things I was like, well, I can see a possibility, but I don't really know. And so we didn't talk about those things. Abortion, I was quite clear. Um, Because you were fairly pro-choice. No, not fairly. I was all the way pro-choice. I was (laughs) like, no, like we won't talk about that because, you know, I'm pro-choice. Yeah, basically. Um, And it wasn't to not talk about it to hoodwink and bamboozle people. I just didn't want to have to have the arguments and, and all of that, that came with it. And we were still having a lot of back and forth on our own. Um, And so, yeah, I, I felt like though, once I convinced her to come over to my position and of course we could come out and just be like, this is where we stand. If you don't like it, you don't like it. <laughs> Y'all Cry When you want to pray for me, just pray that the Lord continues to grab my heart. But um, so th- those I think are the things that really, I've really wrestled with. Um, You know, like I would, I we had some,
0: it was well, hard, like on the police issue, for example, because I really wanted to do a show on policing. And I kept saying like, well, what if we interview this person or this person? You're like, no, no, no. And then finally, so what we did was we would, on issues you were still thinking through, we would have private zoom calls Mm -hmm. with experts yeah and then you could talk ask questions work things through Mm -hmm. and then you know so that was sort of how we moved through those issues
1: yeah and I really didn't want to hear it from someone who wasn't a minority so I was very still stuck in this idea that knowledge and knowledge about black issues had to come from someone who was black or at least brown Um, so there were, gosh, you guys, there were so many things that I had to change my mind on, changing my mind on abortion, changing my mind on what I thought about LGBTQ plus issues when, you know, I'm coming from a a space where some of my friends are drag queens and, you know, in that lifestyle. Um, what else did I change my mind on? Since we started? a, A lot of systemic race issues. Um, I have... You know, there there are some areas where I think, sure, as Christians and believers, or as a nation, we could do better in looking at some issues. Um, But there's a lot of issues that I'm like, you know what? Maybe we're just not asking the right questions. When we want to look at those things, I know that someone I saw a question in here, and I don't have the question pulled up right now, but asked about, um, you know, how do how does someone coming out of the critical social theories kind of reconcile their minds around the fact that critical race theory and the critical social theories aren't the way. But then you also have this disconnect or um this disparity in things like um black infant mortality rates. There are other questions that should be asked in relation to Black infant mortality rates or the um, maternal inf- maternal mortality rates. You know, what it what are the things that cause Black women to um, have complications during pregnancy? We have a higher percentage of um, what is it called preeclampsia and things like that. Like, what are some of these issues that are um, impacting? black women in childbirth, it doesn't always mean that just because there's a disparity, it's automatically racist. And that was something that I had to really do some research on and study about. And um, even just getting into to some of the fallacies, understanding what fallacies were and which ones could possibly be at play right now. So yeah, that's. I think those are some of the ways I've changed my mind. Okay, cool.
0: Uh, there's so many good questions here. All right, this is a quick one. Uh, Jeremy Webb is asking me when will you write a book about Christianity and country music mm-hmm. we waiting <laughs> uh, maybe someday I'm going to do like a teaching series on theology of Johnny Cash or something in fact that reminds me someone else asked me um, Here's I have it in the queue here um, if you were having coffee with Johnny Cash what three questions would you ask him And I just couldn't resist. So last week, last Sunday, Monique took me to a Johnny Cash cover band concert. It's called Cash Up Front. We had a great time. I gave her one of my Johnny Cash shirts. I don't think I'm ever getting it back. No, cute. (laughs) So we put on some Johnny Cash shirts. So we went to a Johnny Cash cover band concert. We had a really nice time. Um, what, what questions would I ask him? Well, I hope I get to ask him a lot of questions when we're in heaven. Um, I think I would love to just talk to him more about the impacts of the death of his brother. And he, when they were very young, his, his older brother was going to be a preacher and he was just a couple years older than, than Johnny. And, um, He died in a terrible sawmill accident Mm. and um, Johnny always had some difficulties with that. And um, I know that there's, you know, it probably played into his his difficulties with addiction. Um, But, you know, I just would love to hear more about that story and things that he, remembrances that he had of his brother And, um, you know, what impacts those had on, on him as a child, um, what I'd love to know, like what some of his favorite hymns were as a child. What did he enjoy hearing his mother sing? Um, His mother would often sing hymns to the children. Uh, They lived on, they were sharecroppers in Mm -hmm. Arkansas. Mm -hmm. And, um, he left to join the Navy or the Air Force maybe, I think it was the Air Force um, when he was only like 17. Um, so, you know, they, they would grew up very, very poor um, in Dias, Arkansas there. So I don't know, those are some of the things I would just be curious um, to
1: talk to him about. So, what's that? Okay. I got questions of my own, but I'm not going to ask them.
0: Why? All
1: right. Because I'll just All right. let you handle that.
0: Do you have any college recommendations? Oh, not that we can say publicly. Um mm. I don't know. We had two kind of encouraging conversations this week.
1: Yeah. With some two Christian college presidents. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Like two not off the rails. What about um I'm not sure we can say
0: is this a recommendation I feel very leery of making a recommendation yeah it's a high responsibility well uh go watch my podcast um on how to vet a Christian college I think that's because that's where I just kind of break down like the steps for how anybody can go look at any Christian college try to peel back the curtain and see what's going on there so that's yeah, what i'm gonna
1: i think how the, i'm gonna answer that the, question the bottom line is that if you're looking to avoid the critical social theories then yeah you're not i don't think that that's a a doable okay let me make a, a right comment now.
0: here about Hillstone. well hold
1: on cause you because uh, you see you just got me off my chin right there <laughs> all right you tell me that i can go um uh, yeah, I don't think that if you are looking to avoid the critical social theories altogether, that you'll ever get to that point. So looking, understanding what you're looking for and then doing the steps in um you know how to vet a Christian college will let you know probably how much the critical social theories have embedded. But trust me, they are there.
0: Okay. Okay. Now I can I can now tag right, your Uh, so let's talk a minute for about Hillsdale because this always comes up. Um, first of all, the thing you have to know about Hillsdale is it is not a Christian college. Mm -hmm. So I don't put it in the bucket of Christian colleges. So when people ask us for a recommendation of a Christian college, I don't include Hillsdale in that conversation. It's an other, it's a secular, private Judeo-Christian liberal arts education. They hire Muslims, Jews, they admit anybody. Um, There's a small honor code that you you must follow if you're a student, but it is not a Christian college. It is a broadly classical liberal. It's basically what colleges in general were 120 to 150 years ago. It's looking at the broad features of the liberal arts education. So when people ask me for a recommendation about Hillsdale, in my mind, that's an other, that's not a Christian college. So that
1: one always comes up though. I want to get Sister um, Sister McLaren. She's on the string. You see it? Yeah. Um, Kristen says, I'd love to hear more about the camp Monique spoke at and how young hearts were softened to the gospel. I, I cannot speak on how the young hearts were softened to the gospel because I was just as surprised as everybody else. Um, gosh, it was it was a tough week. Um, I think uh, I said a lot in the updates, Kevin said a lot in the updates, it, the, the bigger thing isn't necessarily, it's not about the camp. It's not about those kids. It's about the generation and what many of young people, many of the young people in this generation are experiencing. I just wrote an article. I'm hoping it's released soon, um, for a news magazine. I want to say it's called live action news, um, not just talking about my experience at camp, but it's talking about the experience of what's happening in like the lives of young people. What are they being bombarded with that leads to um, a heart attitude that says, yes, I can kill my kid. Yes. I should be able to have premarital sex and, you know, with anybody when I want Um, and, you know, there should be no consequences. So, The camp overall was tough sledding just because the generation has, you know, they they have different um, barriers, I feel like, to the gospel. They have different um, voices that they're listening to, and it just presents tough ground. And so we were there for a week just, you know, wanting to share Jesus and to share what Christianity actually is, that this isn't just a, you know, I said a magic prayer and now I can go and do what I want because I have Jesus and I'm good. What does it actually mean to be a Christian? And we talked about that, um, you know, for five days, um, gosh, the Wednesday night was one of the tough, was probably the toughest night because we did our Q and A in the morning. And then that night, um, We just had a lot of tough conversations. It was tough to present. Thursday morning, um, the kids went home Friday. So Thursday morning was really our last time. We got there on Sunday. But Thursday was our last time to really say, hey, look, you know, this is what it is. This is what it requires. And if you would like to begin a journey with the Lord, then, you know, hey, we're here to pray with you and to, you know, get you on a program for discipleship and you can do that. But I was very clear with them and very serious Thursday morning just of, you know, you don't I don't want you to, you know, say, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus out of some emotional experience. This isn't that this is a very serious situation where you're making a choice to follow Jesus. And it means that you're going to have to leave behind some things. So you really need to think about it. And then Thursday night came around. I kept my commitment to them and went up and after Kevin spoke um, and just offered them the opportunity, like, Hey, look, if you want to, then come join me up here. Not because we're going to do some magical prayer or anything like that, but we do want to be able to capture your name um, and know who you are so that we can follow you and or follow up with you for discipleship. But to say, you know, the, this is specifically what happened and what softened their hearts, I'm not sure. I can only attribute it and I mean no matter what, I will attribute it to the power of the Holy Spirit because there was a lot of people who were pissed. They were not happy just with the idea that we cannot, Christianity does not allow for me to do what I want to do. And You know, in thinking about it now, I don't know that I really like blame them. I think that there is just a way in which young people are being discipled by the culture into this idea of my truth. And, you know, if it's not affirming of my truth, then it's wrong or there is no objective truth. And then when they go to church, church doesn't teach a biblical understanding of truth. So basically when you say there is no objective truth, you're really saying there is no God because Jesus says, I am the truth. He is the way, the truth and the life. And so now to come in and say, hey, look, no, there actually is objective truth. It is very combative. And so, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of some of the thoughts that I've been mulling over in my head the last couple days I've written that article.
0: I think one thing that I think about, and this is connected to the and again, the th- situation in camp is just a microcosm of... Mm-hmm. Yeah, of, this is not a uh, camp situation. Yeah, this is just a microcosm of the larger generational issue. But I think it's not just the, the cultures discipling those children. They even within the church, we send them very confusing messages. Yes. Because we always tell, them, God loves you. He accepts you just the way you are. And they're like, great, I accept myself just the way I am. Yep. And then we say, but you need to get saved because you're a sinner. No wait. What happened to uh, God loves me just the way that I am. I think that messaging is very confusing mm-hmm. because in an effort to want to be a version of putting on a version of love um, and saying, God just accepts you the way that you are. Well, in a certain kind of a sense, that's true, but there's a very real sense of which it's not true. Um, it, it, just no wonder the kids are confused. So mm-hmm. They're like, well, why is this woman telling me I need to get saved? The the My youth pastor says God loves, and he loves me and accepts me just the way that I am. I, I think that the, the messaging there is very confused. I
1: think it's very confusing. Um, I think in addition to that saying that, or not saying anything else after, you know, you need to get saved. Then what? Like you must worship. And this is something that I got from you, you know, you must worship the correct God correctly. So this is not just about, Oh, I got saved. Oh, I said a magical prayer. Oh, you know, that was my day. And you know, then I went off and I lived my life willy nilly. And, you know, I just think that I'm good because, I said my magical prayer. Yeah. That is not the case. We actually are called to live out a life of righteousness, of obedience. And that information was really lacking. I I had people um, and not just me, but Kevin, Kevin's wife, there were people who were very upset because that information hadn't been told to them that the fact that like, no, in, 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 having a relationship with the lord you obey you don't just get to do what you want but you obey and people are like i've been in church my whole life i ain't never heard this why are you why are you talking to me about this why are you telling me this it it's very it's it's worthy at some point i think people were so upset that it was like well i need to reject it because it's so offensive the idea of truth is so offensive that i need to reject it Um,
0: I remember Bob and I went to a church briefly in the early nineties where the pastor would only present what he called the gospel part a, Hmm. which is telling people that God loves you. Hmm. That was the only thing he would present. And so finally, um, my friend who was on staff at the church at the time, she was the worship leader. She finally asked him like, I've noticed that you only ever tell people that God loves them. When do you tell them that they're sinners? He's like, oh, that's the gospel part B. I only tell them that privately, but I never say that publicly. I was like, Hmm.
1: Oh, that's the part that needs to be public.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But then I could kind of make sense of the messaging. It was like, Oh, he's got this kind of bifurcated, you know? So there's, so this has been an ongoing joke between my husband and I in the last 30 years of, Oh, that's the gospel part. A, you Mm -hmm. know, I wonder if that pastor ever gets around to the the part B, the, You're a sinner. Yeah, the
1: the way that the camp actually, the the organizers of the camp, what they did was they actually kind of gave us a skeleton structure. And the the structure of it was, you know, the first day we just talk about a God who creates and um, who is over everything. But the second day, before I'm talking about Jesus, before I'm talking about, you know, hope and all that, it is the fact that you are a sinner. Like, there is no two ways about it. We can't cut it no other way. You are a sinner. Oh, wretched man that I am. You, honey, wretched. And from there, we then talk about the great hope that we have in Jesus. And, you know, what does it mean to follow and obey? But you can't talk about, you know, the the true hope if you don't understand what you have been saved from.
0: Yeah. Okay. How about um, another question here? Okay, this is from Nancy. Uh, What's the thing that ended up making you, Monique, come completely out of critical race theory? Um, I I brainwashed
1: her. Basically. Aren't aren't we clear about that yet? Yes, we are. (laughs) Got me out here thinking all wrong. Um,
0: Magical brainwashing.
1: It started when we were in the car, we were sitting in the driveway and Crystal was like, you think I'm racist, don't you? You think I'm, and I mean, well, she was, was yelling. I was, I was she yelling. was so mad. I and then she just started to cry. Not one of my finer moments. <laughs> she started to cry and I just started thinking, look at the white tears, man. It, it's just so deep. And yeah, that like cynicism in your heart. I did me. like I I was not even not just toward you. I mean, it was it was it was bad. And then I went upstairs, and I don't know if I was I don't know how I was still thinking about it. But I think the idea that that's funny racism. Like they've they've let you into their home, and like I was I came home with PTSD from South Africa and all that, and I think I I started to really think about like. Well, what if it wasn't racist? What if like did I really hurt her feelings? Um, because I had another friend who also I had talked about, about talked about this situation and she was like, No, nah, that's just white tears. And I was like, you know, I don't know. Like it, it really seemed real. And my friend was like, No, nah, that's just white tears. Um Yeah, she didn't talk to me anymore. Um gosh, I think the the biggest thing that was the start of it. But the biggest thing for me was a conversation we had on social justice and then me praying for your whiteness, that God would show you your whiteness and I'd repent to my social justice or my, my no, lack you, of yeah, concern. Yeah. Repent. You need to, you needed to repent. There was a lot. Um, but even in those moments, God is so gracious because even in those moments, my heart began to be convicted. My heart was like, like, there was just, I don't, I can't even explain it. it. was just something that wasn't right, something that just kind of sat off. Um, and I began to just ask different questions, but it was a lot of our conversations, a lot of Virgil Walker and Daryl Harrison, Harrison, not Harrelson, Harrison, Harrison, um, listening to them. I, we would go like for drives or we would drive to her job or to the beach. And now I can't get out. And she has turned on (laughs) some podcasts that I just don't want to hear. But...
0: Virgil and Daryl. Yeah. And And what I would say to her is, I'd say, okay, I want to play this podcast. I found it interesting. But what I would like to hear from you is what do they say that's inaccurate? So I would invite her to tell me what do they have wrong? Mm -hmm. And that was a great approach because then you were listening to it with an ear toward critiquing them. And I remember us listening to, I don't think it was maybe the BLM episode or something. And you were like, are you sure these people are black? And I said, "Yeah, there's two black guys." Like, no, nah,
1: Cambi,
0: be. <laughs> be. or don't um, sound black.
1: Remember Vodie's? Um, yeah, was one of his sermons the one on racial on, reconciliation? No, it was it was the one on. Oh gosh, did he do something on epistemology? He, it was oh something, the gnostic. Yeah, um, the gnostic gnostic um, ethnic gnosticism. Yes, that's what it was. Yeah,
0: and so then I would say, "I hey, I listened to this message the other day. I found this so helpful." can I play it for you? And then you tell me where he's wrong. Like, is his biblical exegesis wrong or her, or his insights wrong. And then we could talk about it. That that, that helped.
1: (laughs) There's that. Um... So,
0: all right, we've got some, uh, okay. Antonia wants to know how Bob and I met. Oh gosh. So long ago, we were so young. Um Bob and I met in the film program at Biola in
1: 1988. Um we met that's 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 deep. Um we we old. We old for that's real. Deep. Uh I couldn't even stay out past the street lights coming off on <laughs> in 1988. My
0: gosh. Uh so we uh met each other the very first week of school. There was a thing that Biola had at that time, called SOS Week. If Kristen McLaren is still on here, she knows exactly what that is. Uh, it was SOS Week, and it's this thing where they have all these activities for new students to try to get you to meet each other. Now, Bob says he remembers meeting me that week. I don't remember meeting him. Um, Isn't it
1: always like that?
0: Yeah. But he says he remembers meeting me and kind of had a word of knowledge that maybe I could be his wife someday. But he told me this years and years later. Um, oh. So... Then um, he said, hey, that's my pookie bookie. <laughs> well, not quite like that in the understated, shy bob way. And um, then probably like my junior year, we were in like five classes together and we got put in a group together for the dreaded group project. But it was a whole semester long group project. And we had to make a film. And nobody else in our group did anything. And so Bob and I basically made a whole film together and I really appreciated his work
1: ethic. Was it the days of our lives? hmm look at you. No, <laughs>
0: what? Okay. Uh, no, so we just went on all these film shoots together and talked about filmmaking. And, um, you know, it was like, I just appreciated that he was a hard worker. He was very creative. And um, if we had problems when we were filming something, he was really good on the spot thinking of um, a solution. I appreciated his problem solving. So that's kind of what got my attention about him. Most of the time I didn't like him when we were freshmen and sophomores because <laughs> you know, his projects ruined the curve for the rest of us because he was far and away more creative, more talented than, than the rest of us. And so I always thought he was just kind of a teacher's. That place. character
1: was looking fine. <laughs> that's funny. So that's funny. That's kind of real. uh
0: how how we got to know each other. All right. Brandon is asking us what our favorite hymn
1: is. Yes. Oh, is that Brandon Rhodes? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Right, Brandon. Okay. Um, favorite hymn is Gosh I love hymns too i was just I was just talking to Brandon this morning um about wishing that there was hymns that had actually good beats because so much of the Christian music today is not is it's just it's bad like it's just bad it's theologically <laughs> bad um gosh, I like greatest thy faithfulness no um, the one be the thou eyes? my vision yes that's it um i like the one with the eyes why don't we speaking about mine get your own excuse me <laughs> excuse me
0: go ahead yeah um and uh yeah those are
1: probably two of my favorites greatest of faithfulness and be thou my vision um is is i knew it was the blood like uh him the what i know it was the blood I've never heard that song. How does it go? you never heard of I Know It Was the Blood? No. How does it go? I Know It Was the Blood. <laughs> What's that not a hymn. What's the tune? <laughs> Everything in the black church is amen. And no, then we got a whole song called Amen. If you're black in here and you are, even if you're white, if you know the song Amen, just go ahead and put a thumbs up. Y'all know the song Amen. It's only got one word in the song. And No, wait, I gotta think about it now. Amen. Amen. I can't say it, so, so. well
0: well what's what's the song the, the one you like I, I never
1: heard this what about the blood um I know it was the blood I know it was I've never blood. heard that song I know it was the blood for you, you ain't never heard of the I know it was the blood song no no I never heard one that day song. when I was lost he died upon the cross and no. I know it was the blood for me no girl you ain't saved <laughs> don't know jesus you do not know jesus girl you better yes yeah, see when he say my husband over here feeding the baby singing it now yes come on now you got a tambourine you can whip out. i wish Mm-hmm. we sang it at the church after communion Chоны- Ch Chmo Eli- yes yes I've and then the ladies the with the white gloves we telling y'all to stand
0: what you, ladies? I'm gonna need, need you to
1: get yeah, you going to have Ladies it. with white gloves? What are you talking about? We're done. <laughs> We're done. Um, had so
0: many questions.
1: What, okay, so yes, be Thou my vision is a really good one. Um Great is thy faithfulness. I have a whole <laughs> hymn list that I I actually just love. Okay. So let's see
0: what we did, Brandon you got us all off on that.
1: All right. But if you know of him songs that have really good beats, can you let me know? Because I cannot with these some of these songs these days. She wants better theology, but with a beat. Yes,
0: this is what we're looking for. Okay. Um. All right. There was a question that um vital, texted me. Okay, this is from Marsha on Facebook. Our church is wanting to add their welcome lgbtq plus wording on our facebook page as being an inclusive church we strongly believe in welcoming everyone but the truth of this is of this being sin isn't spoken is this ground for us to search for another church or do we stay and try to open people's eyes to the worldview being followed we're 40 plus year members
1: Mm-hmm. but are
0: getting weary of fighting oh. the influence in this church Oh, I'm that's s-
1: very sad
0: this is a this is a microcosm or an example a case study of a question that we get a lot is mm-hmm. like basically when do I when should I leave a church and obviously we can't answer that for anybody Yeah, like that's just something you got to get into a conversation with the Lord about and, and f- figure out what he wants you to do like and <sighs> I don't, I don't know, Marsha, if you believe that hearing from God is a thing. Um, you know, James chapter one tells us to, um, if we need wisdom to ask God and to trust him because, um, he will answer us. So I guess my first suggestion is to ask the Lord, Mm -hmm. ask the Lord for wisdom. And in our experience, the Lord tells some people to stay and fight and the Lord tells other people to go and get fed elsewhere Mm -hmm. and it really depends on what the lord tells you to do now the people who stay and fight you know they have to be up for a lot of really hard conversations Mm -hmm. they have to be willing to potentially get hurt and injured disappointed um have people i don't want to use the word deceive them that's too strong but have the have people basically maybe tell them to their face there's either no problem Or they're going to look into it and then nothing ever happens. That road is a very hard road. Mm -hmm. And to be very candid, I'm not recalling right in this moment. It's not to say that there isn't an example of this. I am not recalling in this moment a letter that we have received in the thousands and thousands of letters we've re- we've received in the last two years mm-hmm. of anybody saying, I stayed and I fought and, at, I and we were able yeah. to turn it around. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying those examples aren't out there, but it really starts mm-hmm. at the elders. And if the elders and the leadership are willing to go down this road, I think the chances of a lay person turn, trying to turn that around are very, very small. Mm-hmm. But if the Lord tells you to stay and fight, obey the Lord. And if the Lord tells you to go get fed elsewhere, obey the Lord. Lord. Mm -hmm. And so, but I will say that in conversations with people in the LGBT community, they don't like it when churches say all are welcome. And then they get in there and then they find out that, well, there's some silent things underneath here that we can't be in leadership or we, Mm -hmm. we can't do certain things um, and there's like this bifurcated leveling of like, well, if you're gay, a practicing homosexual, you can help with the coffee ministry, but you can't serve as a deacon or something. Mm-hmm. They don't like that. And so, you know, if the church is going to be affirming and welcoming in the truest sense, there has to be some some discussion about them being all the way affirming to everyone at the same level. Yeah, so.
1: I, I think that that goes back to your um, the gospel part A mm-hmm. you know, and we want to present a whole gospel I feel like it's deceptive to tell people, hey you know, we are this entirely inclusive community, come all are welcome here when it's like, you're welcome be, when you worship the correct God correctly it will do a lot of damage. And I feel like that those, those are the things that build mistrust among people who are not believers because they want to, um, you know, check it out and really see like, Oh, are they really, I doubt they are. They come in with a bit of suspicion anyway, and then it's confirmed and that can just push people farther away. But like Krista said, um, you know, you have to listen to the Lord on what the Lord tells you to do. If he tells you to stay and to fight, then you stay and you fight and you trust the Lord. And no matter what you see and or and even how if painful you don't, it is. Even yeah. if
0: you don't quote unquote win, mm-hmm. if the Lord tells you to stay and fight, then you have to obey. Yes. And until he tells you to leave. And that's can be painful, difficult, mm-hmm. and you will grow in your faith as a result of that. Yeah. If the Lord tells you in his grace, go get fed elsewhere, go do that. Because that's a very depleting situation Mm -hmm. emotionally, spiritually to feel like, you know, I'm in such disunity with my church leadership, but as the leaders go, the church goes. So again, if you're not in leadership, I think, um, you know, that's probably not going to have a good outcome. Mm. All right. All right. Now, Really quickly here, um, There uh, earlier in the stream, we had the question about um, Bible story books for kids. Mm-hmm. This makes me think of our friend Jeremy Bannister mm-hmm. and all of his work to try to encourage Christian families to read the Bible, to disciple our kids um, in teaching them how to read the Bible. And I wanted to let everyone know that the Discipleship Begins at Home conference is coming in just a few short weeks. If you go to women in Apologetics.com and click on the Discipleship Begins at Home conference, it's coming in just about a month. Now it's going to be in Flint, Texas. Um, which I believe is about um, an hour and a half east of Dallas, maybe two hours east of Dallas. So if you can get there or it's in person or it's virtual, but you can go check out their pricing. They have group tickets. I can't recommend this conference enough. Um, It's a wonderful conference. Our friend Jeremy Bannister is going to be um, speaking there. Our friend Elizabeth Urbanovitz, who's going to be on this show mm-hmm. in just a couple of weeks, yep. uh, we're going to be talking about her new curriculum. So she is going to be speaking and then Amy Davidson and Lindsay Mendenwald. So go check out the Discipleship Begins at Home Conference. Look at womeninapologetics.com for yes. that information. Okay. And that brings us to this question while we're on that subject. What Sunday school curriculum do you recommend as an alternative to orange? Mm -hmm. Been getting this question a lot lately. People have watched some of my streams that we did the two hour super stream Mm -hmm. with Alisa and Natasha. Then I did three kind of equipping teaching streams, trying to help um, children's pastors and youth pastors. Be able to um, think about how we're presenting the Bible mm-hmm. to youth and, and um, some of the common pitfalls and that sort of a thing. So people have been writing in and asking, all right, so what is the alternative? Well, our number one, quite honestly, would be go check out Foundation Worldview. Yes. From Elizabeth Urbanovitz. Number one. Um, she has two curriculum out already that you could easily spread out over mm-hmm. time. Um, she's coming out with a uh, module on how to interpret the Bible, which could easily be a year or more curriculum, teaching kids, training kids, how to read and interpret the Bible for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I did some informal, um, I don't know what you coaching? call it, coaching, consulting on the curriculum, gave her some of my ideas of how I teach, have been teaching teaching, people to interpret the Bible for the last 30 years. So we're going to have her on, like I said, in a couple of weeks um, to talk about it and let you know more details. But that's, that's really my number one is go check out foundation worldview. Um, Another one that some people have reported in that they have changed to with some good results is the gospel project. (laughs) (coughs) I'm out of my water. Um, So, That might be another one to check out. Um, That's fine, but I can get you. And you can drink it if you want to. But uh, if people know of more options, you can put those in the chat for us. Okay. Do you want me to run and get you one? No, it's okay. Sorry.
1: You can drink it if you want. No, it's all right. I was just thinking. Germaphobe.
0: You're just showing your germaphobeness right here on the stream. I don't want you to like choke and die, but. I I might die. Yes.
1: Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, Summit has a new Sunday school curriculum out now. I didn't know oh, Okay. That. Okay. Cool. Good to know. Uh,
0: All right. Amanda Jones says they're going to have a watch party for the Discipleship Begins at Home Conference at her okay. church. That's awesome. Angela Williams says she's registered. That's fantastic. So that's good. Okay. You ready for the next question? Let's do it. All right. Now, there's a very long, m- multi-part question up here. I'm going to scroll up and see if I can find it. Maybe I'll call it long. Maybe just be like it's detailed. It's okay. if That sounds like a distinction without a difference, but okay. Um, all right. Why, here, so why you got to be so petty? Okay. Oh, petty Mo, you know me? I know Petty Mo. All right, come on, let's go. I know her pretty well. All right. My mixed-race college-age children grew up in both Black and white churches, were always friends with both the Black world and the white world in their schools, but never belonged to either. And on college campuses now feel very trapped between the sides of debates that you engage. It is not the substance of the ideas, but the way social conflict plays out outside of Christians. Well, I would say... It plays out that way among Christians, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, Walking in love, and that makes it very hard to negotiate. Do you see communities? Here's the question. Do you see communities of Christian love not frozen in their racial identities living out the issues that you address?
1: Do you see communities of Christian love not frozen in their Mm -hmm. racial identities?
0: I would say, you know what? Our friend Ariel Bobat was just made a post about this this morning, actually, because her daughter is also mixed race, mm-hmm. uh, her youngest daughter. She's like 19 now. Um, she was saying how her daughter's grown up in a, in a lot of multi-ethnic churches, but never really felt like she fits in. And now she's in, she's in college. She actually started attending a predominantly Chinese church. And fits in there better than she's ever fit in before. And she's not Chinese. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not that biracial in the, like one of her national or ethnicities is not being Chinese. Mm-hmm. So I think it's more about the ideology yep.
1: That's of,
0: nice. of finding a group where the leadership is committed to creating a community based on unity. Yep. In our experience, what happens so much of the time is the leadership are not clear about the theology. And so then the community can easily become divided because the leaders aren't there to provide proper discipleship.
1: Yes. I was trying to think of like personal communities that I know of. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like our church does things well, mm-hmm. um, but it, it, does depend on the leadership. It will depend on the leadership um, and what they call students up to. Because if students exactly. aren't, aren't being called up to anything or challenged by any anything the way they think theologically, 99% of the time, they're going to be called up to something else by the culture. So um, just, yeah, trying to think of like actual communities that we either have visited or are part of um, not like I said, our church community, but we spend a lot of time on the road anyway, yeah. so we're in like different pockets of community all the time. Um, but I think, I think, um, Impact 360 creates community that does it well, yeah, yeah. time and time again. Um, but it but is like a stagnant community, like not stagnant, but a concrete, like it's yeah. not rotating community,
0: no. yeah, and I think it's hard because even Christians are buying into this ideology. I mean, we see this so much with the young people that that we interact with. Um, It really takes, you know, the people involved to have a commitment and have clear theology about it. But yes, there are examples of that. And yes, it does happen. And it's more on the rare side. You might have to look for it more, but I think that those things are out there. I mean, I don't know where you, where your kids are going to college. There might be a Rasho Christi group there yeah. where they could meet some other um, apologetics-minded friends. Um, I can't re- recommend certain other campus ministries, but I know I can recommend uh, Rasho Rocio- We can
1: basically only recommend Rasho Christi. Christi. So then if you put any other college campus ministry name in there, we don't recommend it. Well, we just... Yeah. There's s- one I'm thinking about in particular that I'm yeah. like, please don't go there. Yeah. Um, but... I really wish that, you know, church leaders would have more backbone in this conversation and really begin to lead it, yeah. lead that conversation instead of, you know, well, implementing like, cultural practices.
0: Um, another example I can think of is our friend Marcus, who is a African-American guy. He's in the, you know, he's a charismatic, but he leads a predominantly Asian church. Yeah. And he's really... Um, you know, in a multi-ethnic situation, mm-hmm. and he is so intentional about unity first, yes, you know, and having an appreciation for different cultures, mm-hmm. but unity first, yes, that that is the ground of our fellowship. So yeah, those those examples are definitely out there. It's just a matter of you know, being, whether they're in your area or you know, continuing to look for that. Okay. Um, do you know when
1: book club registrations
0: will open? Soon, as soon as a certain person sends over her day and time to the book group coordinator person. The Lord
1: don't like ugly.
0: He don't. But should we tell them what what book groups we're doing? Yeah, let's go. All right. Let's do it. So the first one we're going to be doing is we're going to do another round of our reconciled curriculum uh, virtual group. So if you missed that last year, you can pick it up. Mm -hmm. Like we said, the paperback is now on sale. So if you want to have a paper version, you can get that off Amazon. Yep. Um, But our friend Arnold Huntley is going to be leading a reconciled group. He's so cool. We love Arnold. Yes. And um, he's going to be doing that. Uh, Jennifer Bidel. Uh, who's one of our moderators tonight
1: is she's on the stream. Yes. She is United next gen ministry. Yes. 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 yes.
0: She is going to um, be leading a group on Carl Truman's book, the abbreviated version of uh, the rise and triumph of the modern self. It's called strange new world. Mm -hmm. So if you really want to kind of understand, you know, what's happening in culture, um, I'm going to be reading through Carl
1: Truman's book. Yes, Uncle Carl. And then what what book are you doing? You're going to be leading a group this week. I am going to lead a group, and it is on the book, Queer Theory, Gender Theory by Ricky Wilkins. Um, if you watched our episode with Neil Shenvey, he spoke a lot about this book. And so the the natural next step in the critical social theory conversation is criti- from critical race theory, it is the LGBTQ plus queer Theory, And so we're going to do a deep dive in reading Ricky Wilkins' book. Very good. Okay. One last question. We can do a couple more. Okay. Um. Okay. Here's a question from Sarah Canfield. Should every Christian invest in theology and apologetics, or is it a calling for just some Christians? Every Christian. Every Christian should invest, should take a class, should... Every pastor should teach something like there. Every church should have some kind of theology because we, we are all theologians. We all have thoughts on God, but do you have a correct thought about God or is your thought kind of over here in willy nilly land? And you thinking, you know, the Lord is up there sipping on syrup and smoking rainbows. Like you need to know what the Lord, you know, what he says and what your response is to a very holy God. Um, And I can tell you that if you want to offer a buffer or a boundary, not saying that it's going to be perfect, not saying that there aren't going to be exceptions, but you want to put a buffer or a boundary around your children, teach them apologetics and get them embedded in theology to understand what the word of God is saying in context and why it does not jam or mesh with what the world is offering or saying to them. I wish I would have known about um, theology proper, like true theology, true apologetics, as someone who came into the church at 16 because I think that could have helped me out so much further than being a full-grown human person now and having to learn a lot of these things
0: noticing the camera inequity here I'm like way over here on the
1: we'd be whiteness tonight (laughs) we don't have Bob here to keep us even no I'm just playing here scoot over
0: no it uh, no, I I think yeah you bring a good word there and and just how far you've come in your journey. I mean, when you first came to to stay with us, you didn't you'd never really heard of apologetics that much. You didn't really know what it was, and um, you know, I think that it. When I think about it, I think about um, Matthew twenty eight nineteen and twenty. It says, therefore, you know, go into all the earth and and preach the gospel and disciple the nations. The way I understand that is that that is the obligation of every Christian disciple. Mm-hmm. That is not a special spiritual gift for a few. That is a the obligation of of what every Holy Spirit filled, born again Christian ought to do. Yeah, is know how to share our faith, know how to evangelize. In the last class that I taught on um, man, sin, salvation, one of the projects I had my students do was write out the gospel, and that turned out to be even a little bit more complicated than they thought mm-hmm. of how they would share it. So being prepared to share the gospel. I mean, now apologetics is a tool that you use in sharing the gospel. Mm-hmm. So as people raise objections, you want to know some basics of how to answer common objections. So when we look at, you know, um, uh, you know, the book of Peter, when it talks about, um being having being ready uh, to give a hope, to give a reason for the hope that is in you. Again, I see that as the, uh, a command to every Christian, every, every loyal Christian disciple. Now, are there people who have the spiritual gift of evangelism? Absolutely. But um, I think the, the point of having the gift of evangelism is that those are the people who equip and train the rest of us to do better. And when I look at uh, my old boss, uh, Dr. Hugh Ross, he is the most naturally gifted evangelist I've ever known besides my grandfather. You know, that just like the gift of evangelism is his n- biggest spiritual gift. He can share the gospel just like that, no matter where he is, on a plane, in a hospital, in the line, at the bank, wherever he goes, he wants to share the gospel. He teaches me as somebody who's not strong in that. I know that that ought to be a step of obedience for me to share the gospel and I can equip and train myself. But somebody like Hugh Ross equips me to be a better evangelist. Someone like my grandfather, through his inspiration and example, taught me to have that awareness uh, uh, for the unbeliever. So that's kind of how I see those things. Now, did you want to add to that?
1: No, I was just going to say um, in relation, in regards to, you know, the idea of having your students write out the gospel and sharing the gospel and things like that. Like, it's difficult for us too. And I'm glad you said that. Like, it isn't always easy, you know, I, um, you know, in, in thinking of like sharing the gospel, I'm like, can I write it down first? Can I like make all my points? Can I like, you know, have a little step process? And so one of the things I, think,
0: I, I appreciate mm-hmm. about my husband's examples, he did that, Mm-hmm. Yeah. A few years ago, he really made an effort to memorize his gospel presentation and he would practice it and, and then he would share it with people. And so, yeah, there's value, value in that. Definitely.
1: Um, okay. Next question is good apologetics, teaching materials for a preteen. We have used tiny theologian, but seems too young for my oldest.
0: I my I don't know how your oldest is, but, um, I would recommend like Jim Wallace's, um, materials. Um, he's got some good stuff. There's like uh, Lee Strobel has some good stuff mm-hmm. for youth. I just
1: ordered so, Jim's book.
0: Um, and Jim's Netflix. got stuff for kids. And then he, and then his other books like <sighs> cold case Christianity or the one about the creator, um, God's fingerprint, or I forget what it's called. Um, it, easily a high schooler could, Mm -hmm. could read through those Um, possibly even a middle schooler. If they're really like, God's just sort of wired them in that, that way. Definitely they could. So, Um, all right. No. All right. What do you see? What do you foresee for the church in the next 10 years? Mm -hmm. What's currently up in the air that people need to realize now to course correct? Oh boy.
1: Yeah. um, I will start out (laughs) by saying, um, it, it depends on what the church does today, whether mm. we choose obedience and <laughs> in, in relation to God's word, despite what the culture says and how we might be mocked and mimicked, or if we continue to send down our people into the culture to bring up little pieces of, of culture as our remedy for some of the issues we're seeing in the church Um I am not hopeful. This is me, Monique speaking. I'm not speaking for Krista. Um, I am not hopeful that the church will have a very positive trajectory if we continue to live off of a diet that is... set up by the culture. If we continue to eat the culture's food to like eat their eat their norms, if we eat the way their ways of thinking, if we continue to do that in an effort to um, be seeker friendly or to be accepted or to let you know certain demographics and people know that hey, we're inclusive, it's not gonna go well for us. We need to turn around. We need to course correct. Um, things that we need to be keeping our eye out for, is um, queer theory in our churches? So we've already hit on that a little bit. Looking at um, in
0: evangelical churches, in evangelical
1: churches, yes. Yeah. Um, but I feel like in in church in general, like well, it's
0: already there in online yeah. churches. But I think that people are not prepared because most Christians still think that critical race
1: theory is actually a conversation about race and racism. It's not, it's not, not. and we've been saying this for two years, um, or three years. Yeah. Um, another thing. So you have, you have the, the acceptance of, you know, the critical social theories, but critical queer theory, I think is the next thing. So critical, you have critical legal studies, critical race theory, critical queer theory or LGBTQ plus, like these are some of the, the train, the cars on this long train. Um, I think we also need to be aware of Christian privilege. I just did a, a quick reel on Instagram about Christian privilege. We need to understand what is Christian privilege and what are many social justice advocates saying Christian privilege is. I um, I read an article that compared Christians to um, Nazis and I was of, in
0: your uh, diversity in my
1: diversity book, but yeah. it looks at how are Christians and Nazis basically on the same the same plane and participating in much of the same ways. So I think we need to, to be consi- considering you know that in our minds. Another thing we need to be looking at is um, ageism within yeah. our churches. And how will that play out? How will that be incorporated into our, our larger society first, because it always pops up in the larger society, but then how will that trickle potentially? How could it trickle into church? Um, and ageism being, you know, the way we treat the elderly and things like that, but also the way that we treat the the young and vulnerable. each side being vulnerable for different reasons. Um, considering things like minor attracted persons and all of that. What is, what's happening in culture? Because what I continue to see is that many churches send people, you know, if we're supposed to be the light on the city, the light on the hill for, you know, the rest of the world to be able to see what I'm seeing, me, not Krista. I'm seeing many churches send people down into culture Instead of allowing their light to shine, the light of the gospel, the light of truth to shine, we're going into culture and we're picking up these pieces of culture and saying, "Here, this can this can fix our problems up here." Instead of allowing the word of God to do that, so that's come, some of what I see.
0: I think what I see is, um, from a cultural standpoint, Christians are going to start to be to stand out more. Like it's going to be weird to be married to one person of the opposite sex, Mm -hmm. to have children, to work hard. These are all things that are going to start to make you be weird. Mm -hmm. You know, like we're already a little strange to the culture, but I think it's going to make Christians stand out all the more. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that is going to have a certain alienating effect. um, More so from us between us and the culture um, the We are the people who are for life and for natural life and, and natural reproduction and all of that. I think that um, there's going to be a growing um, movement to remove children from Christian homes. Mm-hmm. I think that there's going to be a growing uh, movement where schools, public education, unless public education gets demonopolized and things revert to the local level more. If things stay the way that they are and and public education stays um, federally centric and it's controlled by the federal government and the teacher unions, I think that probably what's going to happen is that the school is going to shift to be the center of the child's world away from the parents and that teachers will be seen as more authoritative about what's best, what's in the best interest of the child. And so I think that uh, teaching a child um, Christianity, being from a traditional family, these are going to start to be seen as child abuse, and we're going to start to see more and more removals of children from Christian parents. Um, I think that there's going to be um, a continued increase of, this is something we haven't talked about yet, but I've done a fair amount of research on, of ESGs. And you can go look up what that is because the acronym is escaping me right now. But ESGs is like this new way of investing that i think that our money is going to start to be tied more and more to a global economy Mm -hmm. and that will be tied to how we are able to exchange money get home loans but this is a theory this i wouldn't um you know die for this but i i've wondered if maybe the future is going to be, um, attaching, uh, if you don't cooperate with these ESGs, that there's going to be difficulty in being able to do some transactions in our, our money and our finances. And, um, so it's, it's going to get complicated. Um, I, so those are some things that I think churches would do well to help people um, think about more local controlled um, education options, more local controlled food options, mm-hmm. um, and investing more locally in our communities, in community renewal and transforming communities according to biblical principles
1: in the traditional family. So, um, Marsha wants to know if you can explain what is apologetics.
0: Yeah. Apologetics comes from the Greek word apologia, which means, um, it's a, it's a courtroom term, which means to give a defense or to, to give reasons. And so it's the idea that Christians ought to be able to give reasons for what they believe and why they believe it. Yeah. Uh, Mel says homesteading is going to get lit. I, I do think that that could be something that uh, the, the homesteading movement seems to be on the rise. And I'm seeing some Christians tying that back to Genesis one and two and getting people closer in a more closer connection with the land Um, that could be interesting to see the massive relocation that's happening now with people changing states. Many people are intentionally leaving urban areas, which makes me wonder what the impact of that will be on churches in Mm -hmm. the, in the next 10 or so
1: years. Um, So yeah. Pastors better get a vision and a plan. I'm telling you.
0: Yeah. So Gwenda said, it's, "Is ESG is that the social credit score thing?" Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what the Chinese are already experiencing. So.
1: All right. You want to do one more? Okay. To... Sure. I don't see any. I got one
0: more in the queue here. All we right. can do from. Um... So contemplative prayer, helpful or new age trash? You have any thoughts about contemplative prayer?
1: Um. You know, I feel like that was something that I was learning in my spiritual foundation class. Mm. At um, one of the, one of the seminaries you were at, I've only been to two. Stop it. She's Ooh, dirty. Them. Just dirty. Um, but in in the learning it in my my spiritual formation class, um, my teacher was like, not my teacher, but the the person who was it was part of a broader class. And so we had a side teacher who was specifically on the spiritual formation side. But um, yeah, she was like low-key woke. And so then I just kind of threw it all out. So I haven't really thought about it since actually. So
0: we have a friend who's really into the whole Dallas Willard part of contemplative prayer. Um, And I've asked her this question a couple of times now and she listened to our podcast. She might be a little bit, hoping we would have uh looped her in on this uh answer she she has benefited greatly from like the dallas willard stream of contemplative prayer i am more of a skeptic about it because i feel like people who who go down the path of contemplative prayer often end up meeting richard Rohr on the path and um that they, their theology gets significantly compromised. So what could have started out as a desire for spiritual formation seems to quickly devolve for many people into very heterodox teachings such as the Enneagram and Richard Rohr as being two examples that come to Mm -hmm. my mind. Mm -hmm. And these things seem to be part of that stream. Now, the part of it that I have less worked out is how is what Protestants are doing in contemplative prayer that I see often devolving into new age ideas. And I'm not saying Dallas Willard is new age because I'm, I haven't looked into him enough to know whether he is. I know some people say he is and some people say he isn't. So I'm not going to, I'm not here to arbitrate that. But what I do see is that people who start off with Dallas Willard, which I think arguably most of his theology is sound end up after a while going into other books like Ruth Haley Barton and Richard Rohr and the Enneagram. And it all kind of seems to be on that pathway What I'm Mm -hmm. less, I, I have less understanding about and less clarity about is how that stream is different than what Christians have historically done on prayer. Like when I talk to my Eastern Orthodox friends about contemplative prayer, they seem to have a different way of doing it and a different focus. And they don't seem to get mixed up with all of this other stuff that Protestants do. And so uh, that part of it for me is just unclear. That's why I've never commented on it publicly because for me, it's just a, it's a bunch of question marks. And I got a lot of skepticism on this side of the equation, but I got a lot
1: of question marks over here. Cause I just don't know how it works. But the whole empty yourself kind of part and all of that you would say is like, not from God yeah like that's the part i think that you know when you're you have when you're getting your
0: well okay somebody's saying contemplative prayer links you to finding your divine center i don't think all of it does i think that some of it does and that's why i'm hesitant to to characterize all things that
1: fall under that umbrella one way well maybe it's because there's maybe people are using the same word for different things
0: that and that's what i'm starting to wonder too, is that everything on this side of the equation with Richard Rohr, the Enneagram, Ruth Haley Barton, and all of those people in that stream, that stuff to me is way more theologically sketchy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But then there's other things that my Eastern Orthodox friends talk about. They also call it contemplative prayer, but it seems to be different than what these people call contemplative prayer. And I haven't looked into it enough to know the difference in a granular detailed way. So I'm hesitant to to say all contemplative prayer is new age trash. I think some of it leads to and can become an open door to new age ideas and thought patterns and stuff. But I don't know enough about what they're doing in the Eastern tradition to be able to say, Oh yeah, that's new age trash too. Mm. you know, mm-hmm. just cause it goes by the same name. So.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure. I, all I know is when it came about at the one seminary that I was at, I was like, well, this, I don't, I don't know about, I, it didn't seem right. It didn't sit right with me.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I'm much more of a fan of things that are more tried and true, you know, like scripture reading, um,
1: yeah. Prayer, mm-hmm.
0: you know, informed prayer, Bible, Bible reading. Um, I think that there's needs to be, you know, um, some structure, I think there could be value to that. I think there's, I think we could have a conversation about fasting um, because there's a long history with fasting that even goes all the way back into Judaism, mm-hmm. And so, I mean, we could talk about that. I mean, I think that there's some things that we can talk about. It's not all new age trash, but I think that some people are getting to the point where it's so demonized that you can't even talk about it without people
1: having a knee jerk reaction of it's all, it's just all trash. That's the way that justice is right now. Yeah. That's the whole social justice movement conversation. I just think that you, t- when you take words and people use it for different meanings, according to them, then it can get demonized by either side.
0: Yeah. So, and I think that, you know, there's just a lot of, I, I'm not a fan of, um, definitely not a fan of Richard Rohr and. All of that. So, if that's what we're talking about, we talk about contemplative prayer. I'd say, yeah, not for that. So, you sure? Yeah. All right. Uh, What are your thoughts about the Orthodox Church? Um, they believe in the Trinity. (laughs) They believe in the Incarnation. Um, There's things that we agree with them on, and and there's differences between the two. Um, You know, I. My friends who have converted to being Eastern Orthodox, I have benefited greatly from their perspective, from their what they've learned in that journey. I'm grateful for it. Um, there's things that I wrestle with in the Orthodox tradition that I don't think I could ever get there um, on some issues. But here's how I see it. I have way more in common with a thoughtful Orthodox person who, and, and I'm not talking about a, a, a person who's just culturally Orthodox, like they've just grown up in it, but they really don't have any understanding of what it means. But if if, if, I've, if I meet somebody who's, who's an Orthodox person or even a Roman Catholic and they're very thoughtful, they really know what they believe, they know why they believe it, they're theologically conservative, I have way more in common with that person than I do with a progressive evangelical. And if all the churches in my my town were corrupt with progressive ideology, but the Orthodox church and the Orthodox priest at that parish was still theologically conservative. I would probably go join that church. <laughs> um, because I, I have way more in common um, with them
1: than I do with progressive evangelicals. Mm-hmm. That's that's my thought about it. I mean talking with um Abuna Anthony a couple times he is um Coptic from Coptic tradition that those conversations were extremely helpful on justice and just understanding, um, you know, when we leave this, you know, Protestantism or evangelicalism, whatever you wanna call it and and look at another tradition, what were their thoughts about um, justice? How did some of the early church church traditions look at um, issues of justice and things like that? That was helpful for me in coming out of critical race theory.
0: Yeah. So if you want to see other perspectives on contemplative prayer from somebody who has it, you know, got some sharper opinions about it, you can go visit my friend, Marcia Montenegro. Um, She's done a lot of writings on it. I I just, it's just not something I have worked out to that granular level of like, here's my view on it. Here's, here's exactly what I'm thinking about it. So, you know. You don't have to
1: have a view on everything.
0: I know I can't. Girl,
1: be free. I
0: can't. Be free, boo.
1: Yeah. Okay. It is time for us to go. We need to go get ice cream. You promised me ice cream. Okay. There will be ice cream. There will be ice cream today. And maybe a taco. All right.
0: All right, friends. We will see you in two weeks. We're going to be dark next Saturday. Going Um, Summit
1: Ministries this week. Yes. Sometime this week.
0: Yeah. We will be at Summit Ministries. So if you have children there, tell them to come say hi. So we want to thank you for your support. It makes yes. this podcast possible. And we will see you in two weeks with, I think a conversation
1: with Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Or yes. All right, guys. Bye. Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening to all the things. Be sure to subscribe to our website at all the
1: and find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the
0: bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll
1: see you next week.